controversy and confrontation at the State House. We'll hear from lawmakers on both sides. Plus, the Indiana impact of the president's stimulus plan. We'll talk with White House economic advisor Heather Boucher and with Indiana Senator Mike Braun in his first local interview since the impeachment trial. Plus, Indiana's new attorney general facing controversy this week. We'll hear from the reporter who broke the story. It's all ahead this Sunday in Focus. Exploring the issues that matter most in Indiana. This is In Focus with Dan Spieler. Tension at the State House this week as lawmakers approach their deadlines for the halfway point of this year's session. A controversy Thursday ended in confrontation and concerns about possible discrimination. Kayla Sullivan heard from lawmakers on both sides of the aisle. It's racism. You boo if you want to. House Democrats say this wasn't the first time Republican lawmakers heckled them on the floor this session, but leadership says it needs to be the last. Our members deserve uh, to be heard and they, and they deserve the respect of all members on the floor. Certainly I have to be better and collectively we have to be better and we're going to continue to work on it. House Speaker Todd Houston says the pandemic is playing a role in this tension. He says COVID-19 precautions have made it difficult to build better relationships and some are quick to assume motives. It's just a little hot and we need to take a break. But I got I got to do a better job. I, I got to do a better job of helping facilitate those types of conversations. House Democrats say merely bringing up concerns of racism and discrimination in a bill doesn't mean lawmakers are assuming motives. I don't think they were questioning their motives. They were trying to get their point across that this type of policy has been discriminatory in the past. They ask Houston for cultural competency or racial bias training for all lawmakers and repercussions for those involved in Thursday's incident. Houston hasn't made a decision on either request. Got to figure out what the, the facts are. Republican State Representatives Jim Lucas, Sean Eberhardt, and Bob Morris did not respond to requests for comment on their involvement, but Democratic State Rep Vanessa Summers shared her regrets. I should have stayed in my seat and not said anything. All right, we're going to talk with our panel about the situation there at the State House coming up. All this happening the same week Indianapolis came under national scrutiny because of the situation at Newfields, the museum put out a job posting looking for someone who could attract a more diverse audience while, quote, maintaining the museum's traditional core white art audience. The museum's board of trustees says they're, quote, ashamed. Now the CEO has stepped down as well. All right, let's turn now to the coronavirus. Case numbers continue to improve here in the state of Indiana, with the state reporting fewer than 1,000 cases several days this past week. That's the first time since October that's happened. Also, look at the difference in the county spread map from just a few weeks ago. Now several counties in blue. A few weeks back, most of the state was in red. Health officials say that's no reason to let up on the precautions we're taking, which they say are obviously working. This as the state continues to wait on more vaccine shipments. Last week's weather forcing a number of vaccination appointments to be rescheduled. It also led to delays getting this week's shipment of Moderna vaccine as weather caused problems all across the country, especially down in Texas. The situation there turned disastrous this week with rolling power outages and other weather-related emergencies, bringing a lot of tough questions about the state's power grid. Meantime, the focus in the nation's capital has been on the coronavirus relief talks and the efforts to expand vaccinations to more Americans in additional age groups or other essential workers like teachers. Washington correspondent Jesse Turnor has the latest on what President Biden and key health officials are saying now. Jesse? 
As the FDA continues to evaluate the country's third coronavirus vaccine, the White House says it's trying to make the most of what the U.S. currently has. By the end of July, we'll have over 600 million doses. President Biden promised the American people COVID-19 vaccines will be widely available before August. We've acted aggressively to increase the vaccine supply. Jeff Science, the White House Coronavirus Response Coordinator, said Wednesday the weekly allocations to states will increase from 11 to 13.5 million shots, and pharmacies will receive double the doses, from 1 to 2 million. About 5% of Americans have been uh, vaccinated twice. CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky reported new coronavirus cases and hospitalizations continue to decline, but said it's still too early to attribute that to vaccinations alone. We shouldn't rest in that comfort. Dr. Anthony Fauci said he's working with Pfizer and Moderna to determine if a person who has been vaccinated can still spread the disease. There have been some studies that are pointing into a very favorable direction that will have to be verified and corroborated by other studies. In the meantime, Fauci said the most important thing Americans can do, along with masking and social distancing, get vaccinated. His administration recently signed the final contracts to purchase 100 million more doses each of the Pfizer and Moderna shots. In Washington, I'm Jesse Tenor. All right, Jesse, thanks. This week, I had the chance to speak with Heather Boucher, who's on the White House Council of Economic Advisors. I asked her about the stimulus talks in Congress and some of the specific measures included in the president's nearly $2 trillion relief plan. What would that money do? to help in the midst of this pandemic? And how do you respond to those who say it's too much? Well, this package has been calibrated to address the challenges in front of us. You know, it starts off with funds and resources to go to states and communities all across the country to deal with the pandemic, to provide them with the resources to reopen schools safely, to make sure that we get that vaccine out to everybody all across the country, to make sure that people have the protective gear and the support that they need as we sort of weather this crisis through the pandemic. And then the rest of the money is focused on making sure that businesses and families have the resources that they need to help us through this crisis. The money that goes directly to families and to people, that's also gonna help the states because you know, for every family that gets a direct check and then can pay their rent and isn't evicted, that's a family that is not homeless in your community who's struggling to figure out what to do next. And that's just one example, but things like making sure that people can put food on the table, making sure they can access healthcare, that's all gonna help state and local budgets as well. So this proposal also includes a hike in the minimum wage to $15 an hour. Indiana Senator Mike Braun called that a, a one-size-fits-all approach that he said wouldn't work insofar as what might work in New York City may not work in Indiana, in his words. He said, quote, you might get some benefits from raising incomes, but you're going to lose, he thinks, between a million and a million and a half jobs in uh, the most hard-hit area in the restaurant industry. How do you respond to that? Well, we have a lot of empirical evidence on what happens when you raise the minimum wage. And mind you, we've had a federal minimum wage since the 1930s, and it's been one minimum wage across every community, and then states and localities uh, sometimes raise it above that level. But what we know from the, the, the large body of empirical research that's been done, especially over the past 20 years, is that when you raise the minimum wage, it increases the amount of money that those folks have they can spend in their community it improves family income and earnings right earnings and income um, and at the same time we have not seen uh, large effects on employment 
Um, and that might come as a surprise, like, well, if you raise the wage, then obviously firms are going to hire fewer people. But in fact, what businesses do is um, because this is happening to every business across the economy, right? It's not just happening to one restaurant, it's happening to every single one. They can all raise their prices a little bit to be consistent with their competitors. But then what you see a lot of businesses doing is using the workers they have a little bit more efficiently. And um, what you don't see is these large negative employment effects. President acknowledging this week it may be difficult to get that minimum wage hike through the Senate. You can see more of that interview on our website this week. We also caught up with Senator Mike Braun, who met with restaurant owners across the state this week. This would force uh, probably uh, the loss of over a million jobs, many of them in the restaurant industry already hard hit. It uh, doesn't reflect the marketplace. Now, this was Braun's first local interview since his vote to acquit former President Donald Trump. Our Russ McQuaid asked him about that vote and what it means for the Republican Party. The way that day unfolded uh, was horrific. When you do push the envelope too hard too often, uh, you're going to get results like we saw. When it comes to uh, Mike Pence and his uh, alignment with Trump and his loyalty to him, uh, that'll be for him to figure out and uh, President Trump. Uh, I view it as a day that uh, we should uh, hopefully never see again. And um, I voted uh, the way I did because it had uh, issues much larger than uh, whether uh, a riot was instigated. Uh, it had a lot of constitutional issues, due process, uh, First Amendment, so nothing's ever simple when you cast a boat like that. Mike Pence's life was on the line, so I can't imagine there was anything bigger at that moment yeah. than his family's life on the line, and you took a position to not hold the president accountable for what he did to potentially put Mike Pence's life in jeopardy. And, um, you know, I would uh, do the same thing because I think the issue is broader than that, and I think uh, Mike Pence will, uh, you know, work uh, that consideration out with uh, whatever he does down the road. and. Uh, I do know that he stood by the president's uh, side uh, on agenda and other stuff. What happened, unfurled that day was unfortunate. Senator Braun there with uh, Russ McQuaid. Up next, Indiana Attorney General Todd Rokita facing scrutiny this week for work he's doing away from the statehouse. We'll talk with the reporter who broke the story. Also ahead, Rush Limbaugh's life and legacy and what Hoosiers are saying about the controversial talk show host and his impact on our political discourse next. Indiana Attorney General Todd Rokita facing some criticism this week, first over a social media post about former President Trump and what Rokita perhaps jokingly in a meme referred to as a stolen election. And then later in the week, news broke that Rokita was still doing some work away from the statehouse, something the governor was asked about in his weekly briefing. I trust uh, the attorney general has followed the letter of the law and is uh, in a... In a spot that is um, legal and and protected. And I'll leave it to him to make the calls about um, where he works in addition to his full-time job here. All right. I'm joined now by our panel and by the reporter who broke that story, Importantville's Adam Wren. Adam, what did you find and, and what's the AG's office saying about all this? Well, I found that Todd Rokita is moonlighting, as it turns out, as attorney general rather than as a strategic policy advisor for Apex Health Benefits. Uh, it's unclear uh, what, to what extent that he's working for this company, but he has an ownership stake in a company that has business deals with roughly 16% of Indiana counties. 
uh, with their health benefits. He has a deal with MSD Wayne Township Schools. Uh, these are potential parties to lawsuits that he represents Indiana in, and there's a clear conflict of interest here. And he has declined uh, to share details both about his compensation at this company as well as uh, the full uh, extent of the letter that he received from the uh, Inspector General's office, uh, supposedly clearing him uh, ethically from holding this position. Uh, lots to unpack there, certainly. Uh, let's turn to you, Indy Political Science Professor Laura Wilson. Laura, between the new AG and, and, and previous Attorney General Curtis Hill, this is an office that's really seen more scrutiny here in recent years than it typically does. Dan, you're absolutely right. And that's really concerning because when you consider the role of the Attorney General in the state in terms of the executive branch, this is the person, this is the office that serves as the chief legal counsel for the state. So while I would like all of our public officials certainly to be moral and ethical, I think there is somewhat of a a real pressure and a, certainly a focus for this particular role. Now, I understand things are ongoing and, and looking into um, different different components of this, but nonetheless, especially for an attorney general, this is really important and something I think everyone should be taking very seriously. We'll see how he addresses it here in the days and weeks to come. I want to bring in former Democratic Party Chair Robin Winston. Now, Robin, this is just one of a number of headlines this week at the Statehouse, including those tense moments between lawmakers after some GOP representatives booed and, and shouted down some members of the Black Legislative Caucus. What do you make of the overall tone and, and tenor of the events unfolding at the State House this year? Well, first off, that event was unfortunate. Um, and Mike will talk to you because he's a former member of the General Assembly. Uh, this would be like us booing Marjorie Taylor Greene when she spoke on the floor in Congress, which she did, and our members did not boo her. This is like Joe Wilson yelling at you lie when Barack Obama was speaking as president of the United States, given the State of the Union address. The decorum is gone. But more importantly, I think Hoosiers are beginning to wonder, why are you not addressing COVID distribution? Why are you not working on getting unemployment checks to people that are waiting on them? Why are you not addressing funding gaps in education? That's the real issues. And I think that's what we've got to do. The, the, the racial uh, acrimony we saw the other day is very unfortunate. Think about the pages that might have been there that day or students that were, that were watching this. This is what we're going to have in the General Assembly? That's not right, and it should not happen again. Let's turn to former state lawmaker Mike Murphy. Mike, your reaction to the situation there and, and the calls now for more sensitivity training for state lawmakers? Well, first of all, I was not there, so I did not witness it and have not heard every word that was said. And it really comes down, you know, to the phrase words matter. Um, there have been incidents like this in the past during my tenure in the state house, two or three times maybe, um, when when people get um, riled up, tempers, you know, tempers flare over perceptions of unfairness or discrimination or whatever. But there is a rule which should have been enforced very quickly, and apparently it was not. It's called Rule 40 which essentially says that no legislator can question the intent or the motivation of a fellow legislator. And if they do, they can be called to the carpet and any, any you know, menu of sanctions can be imposed upon them. And again, without having heard every word that was said, I suspect that uh, uh, Representative Porter may have, you know, it's, there's a difference between talking about discrimination in the in the language, potential discrimination, that's a legitimate thing to talk about. If you think there's going to be discrimination if a bill passes, absolutely. 
and I hope that's what he had. This, that's what he said. If the word racism starts to to creep in, then what happens is then you're questioning somebody's intent or their motivation or their character, and then that violates Rule 40. On the other side, um, Jim Lucas, who has been you know obviously uh, guilty of uh, publishing racist memes in the past, when he started booing Representative Porter and telling basically telling him to shut up that crossed the line in Rule 40 as, as well. Um, yeah. Fortunately, there were no blows thrown. Um, hopefully, uh, Rokita and Giaquinta, not Rokita, I'm sorry, uh, Giaquinta and Houston, get them all, everybody into a room, get yeah. everybody cool down, get some apologies on both sides, and move forward with the rest of the year. It's very unfortunate. It does happen once every few years. It's a tense place with a lot of, yeah. lot of ideas and, and a lot of... Uh, the future of the state at stake. It was quite a situation there, no doubt. All right, changing years. We're also talking this week about Rush Limbaugh's life and legacy. The conservative talk show host passing away this week. Mike Pence calling him a giant. He said there will never be another Rush Limbaugh. His passing also causing some people to reflect on how he changed conservative politics forever. And Laura, some might say not always for the better. Oh, certainly. He was an incredibly controversial figure. Um, someone I think you can say people are really dichotomous on. You love him or you hate him. Uh, but I do think we can learn from what he contributed in terms of a legacy just as, as a political talk show host. Uh, the ability he had to reach people uh, it certainly um, influenced their opinions. And he definitely had a following, even for those who didn't like them or didn't like him. They, he made a stand and he made that very well known. So he played a certain role in terms of especially conservative politics, but also as a, a leader and a, kind of as gatekeeper in terms of the media, too. And Adam, his legacy seems so very uh, intertwined, you might say, with the style and the tone of the modern GOP, especially at a time where the party is reflecting on its future and dealing with this, with this divide now between the likes of, of Mitch McConnell and, and former President Trump. Yeah, this is someone who Mike Pence often said uh, that he was Rush Limbaugh on decap on his radio show here in Indiana. Uh, but when you look at uh, Limbaugh's legacy, you cannot uh, leave aside uh, that he uh, was an extreme racist frequently uh, on his radio show. And also uh, just recently as last year, uh, questioned uh, Hoosier uh, Pete Buttigieg and Chastin Buttigieg's uh, uh, intimacy that they shared on stage at a human rights gala, uh, and really, you know, kind of questioned that in a bigoted way. Uh, and so I think that's important to consider uh, as well. Uh, Mike, uh, your, your thoughts on this and, and what he meant to the Republican Party? Well, first of all, um, I think there's a difference between the Republican Party and his audience. I don't think the entire Republican Party followed him, first of all. I think he uh, actually contributed very little of substance to the public policy debate in this country. Um, I think he made up half of his, uh, his subjects that he talked about. Um, he was a divider, not a uniter. Um, he has um, a whole slew of people of Rush Limbaugh wannabes who are following his steps. Tucker Carlson, another guy who makes up 90% of what he says on TV. Sean Hannity, there's a whole slew of them that would like to inherit his mantle. And, and I'd rather see him, uh, you know, forgotten, frankly. Well, um, Mike Pence, uh, certainly someone who, as Adam mentioned, has been on the radio before, someone uh, who obviously uh, looking for something to do now could perhaps 
uh, slide into a role like that in the future. We'll see. His name has certainly been mentioned. All right, coming up next this Sunday in Focus, Indiana's Secretary of State stepping down. What Hoosiers are saying about her career and what some want to see moving forward. That's next. This week, Indiana Secretary of State Connie Lawson announced her resignation, saying it was time to step away to focus on her health and her family. In a statement, Governor Holcomb said she set the standard for commitment, composure, class, and credibility, leading the way and inspiring others to follow. We spoke with Bill Moreau of the Indiana Citizen of Voters Advocacy Group about Lawson's legacy and what they're hoping to see from the Secretary of State's office moving forward. All Hoosiers should be grateful to Connie Lawson for her 32 years of public service. Uh, and she certainly has been a voice for some, what I would call, frankly, modest reforms. No one can um, diminish uh, her commitment uh, to public service. Um, but frankly, I hope that the next Secretary of State really makes um, increasing registration, education, and turnout uh, really a primary focus of the Secretary of State's office. This week, the Indiana Citizen also announced they're expanding their efforts into accountability journalism to take a closer look at issues like campaign finance and redistricting. We'll tell you more about that in the weeks and months ahead as well. All right, stick around. We're back with this week's Winners and Losers next. All right, you got Cuomo, Cruz, probably a lot of options for this week's Winners and Losers locally, too. Adam, I'll start with you. Who you got? Winner is Todd Young for meeting with the Burmese population on Indy's south side amid the military coup that's happening in their country. Loser is Todd Rokita for having a dual employment situation that he's unwilling to talk about. Mike? The loser has to be Ted Cruz, who fiddled in Mexico while Texas froze. And the winner has to be Connie Lawson, one of the great public servants in modern Indiana history. Robin? The winner has to be members of Ask Me Local 725 who cleared the streets for us. And the losers have to be the people in the Indiana House who booed their colleagues when they were speaking. Laura. Well, I'm going to end on a positive. So my losers are anyone who lowers the decorum or the ethics of public service. Uh, my winners are those who made this snowy week a little bit easier for all of us, transportation, education, and otherwise. No doubt about it. All right. Thanks so much for joining us this week. We've got much more on our podcast. We'll see you next Sunday in Focus.